Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Law of Attraction podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Graziano. I sometimes say Natasha Graziano. I've realized I say it two ways, so either way that you say it is totally fine. And today on the show, I have an amazing guest, somebody who I was introduced to via another guest that came on our show, Larry Neyman, who's the founder of E. I know you guys enjoyed that episode. And today is somebody who really touches my heart with what she teaches because I am a parent myself. Catherine Winterselleri is one of the creators of the Guidance Approach to Parenting. She's named the number one coaching conscious parenting expert in the world. She is unbelievable. We are so lucky to have her here today. You're going to learn from the absolute best. She has been on TEDx. She has an amazing book. She has popular workshops. She has taught thousands of parents and educators, social workers, medical professionals, and any, anyone else needing to converse with five-year-olds to 95-year-old children in half a dozen countries and cultures. Her aim is to minimize misunderstandings and meltdowns and communicate with more collaboration, cooperation, and consideration. I love that. Her methods have positively influenced relationships for generations and brought about healing and reconciliation in families that were suffering from disconnection. And today in the show, we are going to dive into how to parent consciously, not unconsciously. Like what on earth does that mean? Listen to find out. How to be the best version of yourself as a parent that you can be. If you're becoming a parent, this is exactly what to listen to before you take the road of embarking as a parent. Learn how to be one. It's brilliant. There is never too late a moment to begin parenting. We're going to talk about that today in the show. We're also going to talk about whether yelling and reward is actually a good thing or perhaps not. We're also going to learn how to meet the needs of your children and how to avoid really sad things like suicide. It gets deep, it gets emotional. Today's show is something that I think every parent can enjoy and will learn a lot from. I sure enough talk about a lot of my personal experiences too. So let's dive in. Good to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. All this way as well. You're I Hong know. Kong. Well, Hong Kong, but recently Colorado. Oh, goodness me. What an amazing travel journey. Yes. I'm, I'm just so honored to have you here. Since Larry Neymar introduced us, and Larry Neymar, he came recently on the show, guys, the founder of E, mutual friend of ours. And, you know, he told me so many wonderful things about I'm so excited about that. And likewise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm exactly. Just, I'm so excited to get to know you some more and learn these wonderful methods around conscious parenting. Absolutely. What is conscious parenting? You know, if we're not consciously parenting, we're unconsciously parenting. Does it make sense? So we all tend to just fall back on what are the patterns that we experienced and then we wash and repeat. And not all of those patterns really are the most effective. Interesting. So things that I'm doing perhaps, you know, as a mom in my Mm -hmm. day to day. You know, and parenting really is a journey. Like I have to I have to say, totally. it's, it's not something I think that you, you, you're born with a baby and suddenly you have to do their nappy and learn how to parent overnight. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is amazing. Yes. I was two people, now we're three. Yeah, or, you know, exactly. Two and now five, but you've already learned by that point how and what to do. So 
if now I turn on the switch to conscious parents, yes. now I understand more what that means mm. because of the nature mm. of my own work, but that therefore mm -hmm. means that I'm now thinking about every move strategically that I do with my child. Well, and you're thinking about your own interaction with that. Oh. And you're also thinking about your own inner experience of their behaviors. Because as moms and dads, we can see behaviors that we want to influence and hope that our children will choose other ways of responding to situations. And how do we have those conversations without our kids ending up um, you know, doing this or shutting us off or thinking we're criticizing them as opposed to coaching or supporting them yes. and getting those better behaviors? And then what happens to me? And what's my own experience when I see these events happening? Yes. And then if it's happening in public and other people are looking at me with, you know, mommy shaming and other kinds of judgmental thoughts in their head about how badly I'm parenting. So this literally just happened to me. What happened? A few months ago, I was in the park with my son after school and my son decided to, they were all throwing stones in a little river and a mm -hmm. stream. And then the kids kind of stopped. And then my son kind of carried on and the mums were saying to their children, don't throw mm -hmm. stones into the river because they were throwing them pretty much over each other's heads. It was so I dangerous, okay. so dangerous. And I sort of called down to my son and said, Rio, stop. And he didn't, and he was mm -hmm. the last mm -hmm. one to stop. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Rio. And I really had to like raise my voice mm -hmm. to get his attention. And then finally he listened, at which point I was so humiliated. I had to go and grab my son, pick him up and then take him home. And mm. I was just so fuming at the like, what that moment, because yeah. you know, like A, I'm a public figure. So like people don't realize you're human. They mm. think you're like a robot, right. but I am a mom. And my mom was there with me, but I was mm. like, when this happened to me, I was like, oh my God. I was mm. like, this is like, ah, like I don't want to, like I don't do school pickups, I don't do any of it. I, right. My nannies do it, I stay out the way just because it's too many people who wanna, sure. you know, it's too, it's too much heat and attention. Mm -hmm. So I prefer to just make it as easy as possible for him. Sure. Um, But it was just a lot of, it felt really uncomfortable for me, maybe because I'm not used to being around other parents mm -hmm. so much. Um, But at the same time, it was just so awkward and it just, I didn't know how to go about it. But it sounds like, I mean, I'm not sure that anybody else was looking at you like, leave. I well, mean, if you had like that it. sense it of. It felt like it. Or if it was you doing it to yourself. I don't know. Right? Because yeah. I mean, sometimes it's not really from the outside. Yeah. However, a lot of times it is from the outside. Yeah. So that could have been your experience and maybe you were just picking up on the energy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then we also tend to be really hard on ourselves as if, you know, we have to be perfect all the time and that we can't fall down and that there's you know, we get to screw up too. I mean, I like to say moms are parents, you know, moms are people too. Yes. You know, yes. children are people too. Moms are people too. Yes. Dads are people too. Part of, I think this whole issue around self-esteem, perfection, and kids becoming highly anxious yeah. is that they're kind of growing up in a world that is intolerant of mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And how important it is to really put up the sign in your house and in your schools that, you know, if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. Wow. You know, it's okay to make mistakes and we're not perfect. And I can remember my daughter when she was little, just getting so upset because she was not able to control herself all the time. And I said, you know, sweetie, you got the L right on your forehead. You know, this is a learning situation. Yeah, my son's the same. He's hard on himself. Yes. And so we got to keep 
you know, basically giving them permission to be children. Give them permission to make mistakes. How do you do that? You, you literally talk about it like this. I used to say to my daughter, you know, you've got the learning permit on. It's okay to make mistakes. You know, you've still got, you've still got like your mom next to you as you're starting to learn to drive this, the car, the body, yes. to be able to come up with the behaviors that you feel good about. Wow. And when you make mistakes, be responsible for your mistakes. And then you move on. Did you have any mistakes that you did as a parent? Like moments that you significantly remember yeah. where it just went completely tits up. Mm. And that was a turning point for you. <laughs> yes, there are those moments. And I can remember, I mean, I can give you a couple of examples. And I know in both cases, and this is going to be so true for every parent, we can become so emotionally involved in our children's upsets. Like when they feel like they're being bullied or they're being ignored or that they're being excluded from the group and they're struggling with their skills to be able to integrate into new situations. So yes. And we moms can become like the mama bear who wants to get into the middle of their problems and make the other kids change their behavior so that our kids feel better. Yes. And honestly, it's incredibly disempowering to our kids because mm, what we want to communicate to our kids is this is really tough. And, you know, you can stay in command of how you're feeling about this without having to change other people's behavior. Now, you'll have a better chance at communicating to them that these are the reasons why you're feeling the way you do. And would they be willing to include you or change their behavior? And how do you articulate that? without having other people get involved. And our kids know that. Our, my daughter said to me once, mom, if you're gonna get involved every time I tell you about something that's going on for me. Oh, we need a pen. If you're gonna get involved every time I tell you about something that's going on for me, I'm just gonna stop talking to you about it. Oof. So do we have the ability to hold the space for our children to be going through the things that are upsetting to them without getting involved. Wow. Because I think that's, you know, maybe it's the helicopter parent, you know, who's hovering around and trying to solve all the problems to their kids and what they're really communicating is, I better get in there and solve it because you can't do it yourself. What we really want to do is empower our children to recognize that they can change how other people are interacting with them by changing what's going on inside of them. One of my most asked questions, which is exactly where mm. you're going here with this story, which I think is really powerful, is to do with how does a child stand up for themselves? Yeah. It's probably one of my most common things mm -hmm. as a coach that I have to deal with is mm -hmm. parents who come to me and say, my daughter's being bullied. Yeah. And it's not only how does she deal with it, how do I deal with it? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna throw that question over to you yes. as an expert in this yes. field. And then I'll tell you how I deal with helping the parent. But how do you help that child to stand up for themselves? And it depends on the age of the child. So I think we also have to kind of look in the world of developmentally appropriate. And at which point do we realize that they're actually going to need our help? Yes. So, I mean, both are true. Sometimes we need to support them and we need to get involved. 
And sometimes we need to support them by giving them the skills to be able to manage the situation better themselves. Wow. And both are probably true no matter what the age of the child is. Yes. So with my daughter, when she was probably six or five, and, you know, again, growing up in Hong Kong at a different um, international school, and she came in the second year. So it wasn't the intake year. It was the second year. A lot of the friend groups had already been formed. Yep. And she started saying that, you know, I hate school. I don't want to go to school. And it was such a surprise. So, you know, these are like the breadcrumbs that our kids get us. They don't tell us why they hate school. And it's probably not I hate school. It's like there's something going on there yes. that's emotionally difficult for me. And that's why I don't want to go to school. So I just started listening. And it was about playground time and nobody playing with her. Because she was the new kid. And these other groups were formed and she didn't know anyone. And I thought it was just that. But actually, it was more than that. What was it? It was another kid at school who literally would say, don't play with Pia on the playground. And she only revealed it then. Yeah. No way. Yeah. And so here's a situation where I did go to the guidance counselor and I said, you know, there's a dynamic going on. And she said, I'm going to pull the followers in. So I was like, really, you're not going to talk to the perpetrator. No, I'm not going to talk to the perpetrator. I'm going to talk to the followers. And one by one, she spoke to them and said, how do you feel about this? And they each said, I don't feel good about it. Mm. Well, then why are you doing it? Because I don't know how to say no to this powerful girl who was the ringleader. And I, you know, I was like, wow, that's amazing. They're doing something that they don't even feel good about. And she said, yeah, that's the power of little kids learning to find their voice wow. and standing up for, because none of them really wanted to do it, but yeah. they were afraid if I don't do it, what's she going to do to me? And, yeah. you know, that whole scenario. So she taught each one of them to say to the powerful girl, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. So the next day when the same thing happened and all of the little followers turned toward the perpetrator and was able to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I don't feel good about it. And then just like that, everything changed. So it took empowering these other kids to be able to stand up to kind of like the yeah. mean girl, the ringleader, yeah. and assert themselves. And that's where you look at the ecosystem and you look at the developmental level of the kids that are involved. And it really is about coaching and supporting these little girls to be able to stand up to the one that they feel has power over them. Mm, right, I mean, there's so many levels to this. Mm, and, mm. you know, the mean girl thing is actually a thing. And it happens at such a young age. And it starts younger and younger, and it usually gets worse and worse. So when you know that the followers needed to be empowered, then you begin to recognize that we can change all of these dynamics by helping kids feel connected to their inner voice mm. and have the courage to, to realize that other people are not responsible for their behavior. How interesting. So it's creating that inner voice, encouraging them at a young age yeah. to use it. Yeah, because they already knew, right? None of these kids were out of touch with their inner sense of rightness. Yeah, absolutely. They were out of touch with their courage. So conscious parenting, there's never a too late moment to do it. You can do it with your teenagers. You there's can do it never with your... a too late moment to mm. do it. And you can go back and heal relationships. Like I have a woman in my training now who has a 30-year-old daughter and they're estranged, mm. right? Mm. And so 
what a beautiful opportunity for healing and reconciliation Absolutely. to recognize you can go back into a situation yeah. with new approaches Absolutely. to be able to heal an old relationship that you're just like yearning inside. Oh, uh, yeah, I can speak to that. I didn't speak with my father for 10 years. So mm. when I evolved into who I am today, yeah, I was able to approach the situation a completely different way. Exactly. All of a sudden, I, I could come with compassion and I was able to talk to him and pick up yeah. the phone and say, hey, I want to share something with you. It was like completely shocked by the phone call. And the fact he just showed up at his house and we built a relationship. I think Beautiful. the power of forgiveness is very important. And when it comes to parenting, forgiving yourself. Yeah, of course. Letting go, just saying, I'm not going to hold on to how I've been. Yeah. And I'm going to start again today. Maybe for someone hearing this show today, this is the first time that you're hearing anything like these new ideas. And you're going to continue to hear more throughout the show. And you're like, I'm going to try something different. But you never know until you try what results you'll get. And on that, I don't know the, the answer to the question, so I want to ask it because I know somebody in the, in the audience is absolutely wanting to know the answer to this. And the question is, is it wrong or right to yell at your children? <laughs> Let's say it's never really going to be that effective. Yeah. I think it's actually the um, evidence of being out of control yourself, mm. right? So you've lost, you've lost self-control. And of course, I can't name a parent alive who hasn't yelled at their kids. So this is that self-forgiveness part where you blow it spectacularly. Yep. And then you get to reconnect with your children and basically say, I am not proud of how I just came unglued. And I would love to have a redo. Would you be okay with that? And you just, you know, you're just apologizing for your lack of self-control. Wow, interesting. So it's yeah. letting down your own ego so that you're able to reconnect with yeah. the child. Because it's true, when you yell at a man, like when I yell at my husband very randomly, <laughs> they'll say that happens all the time, maybe a bit. Uh, and like when you when you get those moments, they, mm. people don't listen when you yell. When yeah. people yell at me or have done in the past, I block out and I tune out and I go into my own yeah. space and all mm -hmm. of a sudden I can't hear them mm -hmm. and it's just noise. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking about what I need to do today or tomorrow or how I never want to see this person again or like, <laughs> you know, I want to like, so, you know, with kids, it's the same right. thing. The, the child is, is sitting there just tuning out. I know with my son, when I raise my voice, not yell, just mm. when I speak a little bit louder, if I go on for more than two sentences, I can see he's tuned out. Yeah. So I just say exactly what I want to say mm -hmm. in one sentence and I pause. Mm -hmm. And then he looks at me as if there's more. Mm -hmm. And then he starts, oh, you're right, mommy, I shouldn't have done that. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So just a one line in a louder tone, but not shouting. Mm. Because also when we as parents are... It's like in psychiatry, they call it displacement, mm. right? When you let out your emotion in the wrong area, mm. anger. Mm. When you feel yourself fuming and angry and you let it out on somebody for almost no reason yeah. most of the time or just inappropriately, this is displacement. And so with displacement, when you do the same with your children, mm. the child 
is getting shouted at usually because of what we are storing inside of us. There is mm -hmm. anger already inside of us. Mm -hmm. If we are screaming at our children, mm -hmm. that anger was already in your body. It was mm. already living there. It just needed a vessel to come out mm. on. And here is the mm -hmm. opportunity for that anger to finally <laughs> be released. Right. You know, it's uh, an interesting way of, of looking at it. And I've read m many studies on this. So I think it's very important for us to recognize if we are fuming at our kids, what's going on inside of me when I yeah. point the finger you're the problem look how many fingers are pointing back at me one two three mm -hmm. I am the problem mm -hmm. not you yeah so this is the whole victim blame consciousness so in that state of mind we confuse the person who catalyzed my response as being responsible for my response so we lose complete you know connection to the fact that the catalyst is never the cause and I mean, this is so important. The catalyst is never the cause. So if I know that to be true, when I'm catalyzed, the victim blame consciousness says, I need to manipulate and change your behavior so I can feel better. So we spend all of our time focused on that event, that person, their attitude, whatever, Actually. as being the issue, because I'm still duped in under the spell of thinking other people make me feel. So when I start to be responsible for my own feelings and something here catalyzes that within me, I recognize, wow, and I can even say to the catalyst, you know, something's happening in me mm -hmm. that I need to really be with and unpack. There's a part of me that wants to blame you for my experience as if you caused it, but yet I know that's not true. Mm, interesting. And so now I need to just be with this something inside of me in a way that I can unpack it without going down this other road yes. of blaming you for how I feel. Yes. So, I mean, this is, this is such a fundamental shift in consciousness that it's obviously way beyond the parent-child dynamic. This is with regard to all human beings on the planet wow. and their displaced sense of responsibility for their own feeling realm. And so few of us have ever grown up in families that have a consciousness around this, which is why the conscious parenting revolution is really about consciousness in general. And when I start working with families, a lot of them will say things like, oh my God, this is going to really help me at work. And this is going to help me in my dynamic with my spouse or my own mom or dad or anyone. Because I don't know about you, but I mean, I definitely grew up in the land of, you know, look at, look at the gray hairs you've given to me. And how dare you speak to me that you make me so upset. Mm -hmm. You make me so upset and you make me happy are both blame consciousness, where again, it's something outside of me responsible for my experience inside. Mm -hmm. And there's that nuance of, well, sure, it's a catalyst, but not the cause. Mm -hmm. And what happens inside of you or anyone else is going to be distinctly different based on your own family of origin, based on your belief systems, based on your own consciousness. And when we begin to realize how individual it is, we recognize that that cannot possibly be true. The, the beauty is the freedom that comes in that, the liberation. Yeah. That I'm never going to be able to change everyone around me to get them to stop triggering me. However, once I begin to realize that that's actually the gift, yeah. that now I'm recognizing that there's some un, you know, unresolved. unresolved some things in me. You know, You talk about the anger that you're just displacing. And that is actually what a lot of people do, is that they just have lost connection to the fact that there's a whole bunch of stuff in me that is actually responsible, including even how I think about the situation. Yeah? Wow. So powerful. 
did you go through anything in your childhood that was a red flag that really was like, I do not want to raise my children in this way? Yeah, you're so astute. So obviously, <laughs> I would not even be doing this body of work if I'd had the ideal family. Yeah, yeah, I sense that. <laughs> what, what happened? So it's that whole idea of, yes, okay, so we get to really transform. So a number of things. Um, I would say that my understanding of it, of course, has only come as being an adult. Yeah. And my experience and the years and just all of it. So it was a his, mine, and our family. So my dad had been married. He had a child from his first marriage. My mother had been married with two children from her first marriage. And they got married and had my sister and I. I love what you call that. His, his mine, mine, and, and ours. ours. Yeah. yeah. And again, only in reflection is the one unpacking was I able to begin to really understand my own like deep sense of it has to be different with my kids. It has to be different. So I had a brother who died by suicide when I was in high school. Sorry. And knowing that over, I mean, just knowing intrinsically that it was so much about the family dynamics. Yeah. And he was the one who never felt accepted by my father. And they had so much conflict. And it was so much about my dad's family of origin and then just a child wanting to be loved, wanting to belong. And when he didn't meet his needs for that, the tragic expression of the unmet needs. So just think of that. The tragic expression of the unmet needs is all of the quote unquote bad behaviors that we then try to manipulate through rewards and punishments, which completely miss what the underlying reason for the bad behavior is. Mm -hmm. So unless we start to look at, and this is kind of like, you know, the mantra, the little drum that I beat, until we can start looking at those behaviors that we would like, they're socially unacceptable, they're behaviors that we wish that they weren't there. And if we punish and reward them, maybe they'll change. But actually what we activate is retaliation, rebellion, and resistance, Ooh. the three R's, and then three R's account for 75% of our behavioral disruptions. So we end up causing whatever the issue was to become so much worse. Yeah. And then we come down hard on it and we activate what I call the dance of anger and defiance, which then explodes into another level of incredible, you know, quote unquote, disruptive behaviors. And you just get further and further and further away from the humanity, which is that people are only ever trying to meet their needs in the first place. And the more that we can connect to the underlying unmet need and really have empathy and understanding for what's behind these behaviors, yeah. we end up creating a completely, you know, what do I want to call it, isolated child. So what usually is behind these behaviors? Mm. The tragic expression of the unmet need means that their needs are not being met. So then what are the needs? So we start to just kind of like we could use a model of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So we have the underlying base level needs, which are for food, air, water, and sleep. And we know, right? I'm sure you've had that experience with your little child. Yeah. Yeah. If he's tired or hungry, yeah. what happens to the behavior? Well, it depletes. It goes down. Exactly, right? And you could try to reward or punish him mm -hmm. to act better, mm -hmm. but you know that until he gets to bed and is rested, there's no reward or punishment that's ever going to change that behavior. Yep. So you have to meet the need. Right. And the same thing for just being hungry. You know, they call it what? Hangry? Hangry. Yeah. Right. 
So there's no way to reward or punish someone into better behavior. You just have to meet the need. Mm. So you've seen children who have been fed, watered, and slept. And all of a sudden they wake up and they're like, oh my God. And you think to yourself, brand new child. Yes. But all you did was meet the underlying need. So that's a base level. That one's so easy for everybody to understand. But then when we start to move up to psychological safety, right? And then when you're in the land of psychological safety and you see these behaviors, but you can recognize, ah, okay, like I'm checking the box. I know it's not food, air, water, and sleep. Mm. So then, okay, what are the next level of needs that I need to think about that could be unmet? Is there something going on in your family? Is there something going on in the school bus? Is there something going on at school itself? Mm -hmm. Does this child go to school and feel like their needs for belonging, acceptance, that they can make mistakes or are they criticized, isolated, and then they come home and they start to show you behaviors or refuse to go to school or get up late and all of the behaviors that you're like getting madder and madder about. And then you start to say things like, unless you get up right now, young man, young lady, whatever it may be, you know, no TV, no dessert, no friends over this weekend. And you start doing the threats as if that's going to cajole them into changing their behavior. When actually you just need to have a conversation, sit them down and ask them, why? You could try that. And a lot of kids may be self-disclosing, but a lot of kids won't be. So what do you do with that exact problem right there? Yeah, well, asking why can be a roadblock because mm. they don't know exactly why because they haven't thought about their... Children are not going to say, Mom, you know what it is? My needs for psychological safety are not being met. No. <laughs> So you have to go around the block. So you have to say, how was it at school? You, yeah, you could start with, you know, gosh, you know, so you really hate school, huh? So a lot of parents are not prepared to just acknowledge that. Right. And instead, they're going to get on their soapbox and talk about why school is so great. Mm. And how in our family, you know, education is important. And, you know, if you want to be a, a gasoline attendant for the rest of your life, and then they'll go off into this whole tangent. And it's just all the parents' fears about if their child doesn't get a good education. And, you know, that's, again, where it's kind of like, well, look, what's being activated in me? Like, what's the trigger in me? And then we go off on our own triggers as opposed to just staying with that child. Like, you know, really sensing into what is their feeling? And you can connect with what they're just going through. Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they're worried. Maybe they're afraid. You know, there are all these different feelings. And if we can identify what they're going through and give them a word, then maybe they'll be able to say, no, that's not it. You just don't get me. Or they'll say, yes. Because mm. even young children know when the word we're using to explain their inner sense of things is good match or not a good match. And this is where, you know, they, they really emphasize that the more of a feeling vocabulary your children have, the more that they can actually dissipate high emotion. That's really interesting. So as adults, we teach people that there's different tone levels and mm -hmm. there's actually 140. People just think they're sort of like sad, depressed, mm. and then, you know, on the other side of it, um, neutral, happy, and then mm -hmm. ecstatic. There mm -hmm. are 140 wow. and it's unbelievable. So if we gave a child a, a you know, atonement chart and they mm. had to look at which tone it is, and there's an emoji next to each of them, perhaps. Mm. That could really help, mm -hmm. right? So if I was like for my son, which one of these did you feel today? Yes. Here's the real lower level ones, and here's the higher levels. And then he could tell me, I'll say, what happened there? Uh-huh. 
then that could be a great way to tune in because now we've got the feeling connected to the action which happened. To yeah, it. it's a great way to tune in. They actually say that sometimes these emojis are not completely true for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that how distress registers on your face may be different on this person's face. And so just looking at the pictures, like in a generalized sense, what could be even more powerful is for you to write the words down and say to your child, show me what your face looks like when you're going through that. Mm. And then you can actually see what it looks like on their face mm. and make a deck of cards. Yeah, very interesting. It's definitely so it's something so to, true to try for them. Absolutely. So, okay, going back to what you experienced, yeah. as I'm really intrigued, because I think this could help so many people. I lost mm -hmm. a sibling growing up mm. um, as well. That was really a, a sad moment from a car crash. So it oh, was... So um, sorry. You know, I understand. And my mom's now a bereavement psychologist, and that makes perfect sense because yeah. obviously she had to overcome that, which was really hard for her. And then obviously mm -hmm. hard for me and my siblings. Mm -hmm. So you said you lost your brother to suicide. What what happened to him? Why did he? Yeah. So, you know, it was, I think it really started happening when he was a child. How old was he when he? Well, when my parents, when he, when my parents got married, you know, he was already he was, let's see, was he, yeah, I think he was 10 years older. So he was already 10 years old, right? And then I came along and then he was always the one acting out. And I think every family probably can sort of relate to this. Like there's one who's the good girl or the good boy who's always meeting expectations. And then there's the ones that have started acting out. Yeah, for attention usually. Usually, right? And negative attention is better than no attention. And so I think if I kind of like look back, having unpacked it and looked at it, it was really that he had a mom, my mom, who was now in a new marriage. And she was trying to navigate between her new husband and her son's reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And then his, my father and his stepfather's reaction to his tragic expression of his unmet needs. Mm -hmm. And nobody had the consciousness to see it from, you know, you could call it a trauma-informed perspective or to see it from the child's perspective. But if we start to develop families that have this perspective that children are people too, children are people too. So it's not bad behavior or disrespectful, but it's the labeling of it as, you know, disrespectful, inappropriate, yeah. all of those words. Yeah. And then, you know, my dad spanked. So now you're getting a spanking for having had feelings, which teaches what? It's not safe to feel, mm -hmm. or I can't have my own perspective, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that it's not safe for me to have my own perspective if it triggers the adult in the room. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. some children learn to deny themselves their own perspective. Mm -hmm in order to stay safe. So they're now suppressing emotions, yes. which therefore, you know- Disconnects so, them from their inner world. So when you look back on yeah. who you've become now, you were subject to parenting you disagree with mm. and the way that you went yeah. through. And you don't want to repeat those habits mm. with your kids mm -hmm. at whatever point you realize that. Mm -hmm. And now you want to help alarm other parents with yeah. how to- and help them, enlighten them to a better way. They're, exactly. I mean, here's the bottom line is that 
I look at everything as the opportunity to bring it forward, right? Yes. So how can I bring forward my own personal experience in a way that's going to have the greatest support so that other kids yes. don't grow up feeling invisible? Wow. So that their perspective is never taken into consideration that mm. ultimately may end in loss of life or it may end in you know therapy forever mm-hmm. or it may just end in them feeling that they were just never seen, heard and understood. Was, was your brother particularly a teenager at the time when he... He was in his early tw- mid-20s. Okay, which yeah. is quite a common age for it males to yes. take their life. I've, I had a girl that I work with who's mm. a suicide um, coach. Survivor? And, oh, uh, and so because she's a suicide survivor, survivor and she was telling me the statistics and we were going through them and males in their 20s because because it comes down to which is really sad but women we're we're allowed to express our emotions and cry it's Mm -hmm. okay but men don't feel in society as much comfortable to be able to express that feeling well here's the thing i think because that was actually why my dad was so triggered because my dad grew up with that rule book Right. The, the old fashioned rule book. Absolutely. Yep. The old fashioned rule book, which is obedience and compliance yep. and do as you're told. And yep. if you don't, Children you're disrespectful. Must be heard. That's right. Absolutely. It's that whole thing. Yeah. So now he has, you know, the new wife with the children and there's one, a little boy who has all these emotions and he has learned that little boys can't have emotions because he's been raised in he's, a certain way. He, yes, Exactly. He did what he was supposed to do. He cut himself off from his feelings. And now this is a child who doesn't understand that this is not allowed. Mm -hmm. So he comes down hard on it over and over and over. But he still couldn't get this child not to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And But that didn't change his own experience of being triggered by it. Yeah. And without the knowledge or the consciousness to recognize that this was actually inner work for him to do, he kept making it about the trigger. So this is fascinating because when we tell children, right, what not to do. Yeah. So, okay, you're, we moved into our new home and my son decided to, we, me and my son draw on our, with special, well, kind of crayons in the shower. Okay. We draw all over the, the bathroom walls. I think nice. it's creative and we have so much fun. Fun. And we do it together. And he took those pens and decided to go and draw on one of the brand new white walls. Oopsie. And instead of me reacting, fuming, mm-hmm. going, what the f- are you doing? Yeah. I paused in the moment just because I'm in a different stage in my life now. So I'm able to control yeah. any feeling I have. And yeah. I just thought, how beautiful. Mm. Let's always go to the positive. Pause in the moment. It's very hard sometimes when you're fuming in the moment. I know. have to. And now I can do it really fast. Mm-hmm. I don't need to pause for two minutes. I can literally in the moment think he's trying to express something. He thinks drawing is wonderful. It's yes. art. And I said, sweetie, what a beautiful, beautiful picture you drew on my wall. What's the, why did you do it? He said, yeah. oh, you like it? Yeah, I wanted to draw like the family and I wanted to draw my friends. And I, and I was like, wonderful. Yeah. Do you know, drawing on the walls in the house is probably the wrong area. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to do that. Do you see all of them don't have drawing on? We're going to keep it to the shower. Mm-hmm. Because already that's a place which drives my husband nuts when we draw mm. in the shower. Right. Because it's annoying for everyone who has to clean the house and it goes in between the, the grates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't care. We still do it. And I say, let's stick to the shower right. and paper. And now he's never done it again. Of course. And he's, oh, 
she liked my art. Yes. So every negative is yes. turned into a positive. Right. So back to when he threw the stone now, how I would react. But the mm. reason I reacted like that was because all the parents were watching me. So I thought if mm. I don't shout at him, people around and me that happens all are the time. going to shun me as a parent. Right. I'm and permissive. Think, I'm yeah. allowing him to do bad she, behaviors. Exactly. I'm indulging it. Totally. So what yeah. I should do is in that moment, I should have run down to where he was, mm -hmm. grabbed him, taken him aside. So sweetie. Throwing stones, it's wonderful when no one's around. Yeah. But we just can't do it in those other kids because mm -hmm. if it hits them, it's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And I should have handled that in a different way. So it's with hindsight, we're able to go back. But I think as parents, yeah. a great thing that someone could do right now and someone listening is literally pause this episode or even just think in your mind, when was the last time I exerted my do not do that yeah. angry tone, voice, any kind of physical, mental anger that you exerted. When was the last time you did it? You regret probably. Mm. And then now think, how could I redo that moment? If I could go back, press mm -hmm. rewind, how mm -hmm. would I redo it? Because I guarantee it would be the opposite. And, and then redo it. And redo it. Yes. Literally go back and say, I have been reflecting on that. And here's the thing that I've noticed over time is that when parents start to learn these skills, yes, they are staggered by the things that their kids are still holding on to. Gosh. So it's, I've had it happen so many times where when they start to learn how to just take the child's perspective, listen to what's going on, say to their children, you know, so have I got this right? So the way you felt about that was that, you know, nobody cared about your side of things. And, you know, is that what you meant? Yes, that's what I meant. And I was like, oh man, that must have been so hard for you. Wow. So you have that conversation and then they start to share more Yeah. because they know you're listening. Wow. And they'll bring something up that happened like five years ago. Yeah. Do you know when dad didn't come to my thing, you know, at school where I was, where I was doing my project and stuff and parents were invited, you know, I, I'm so like mad that he didn't come. And it's like, wow, they've been carrying that for years. Wow. So interesting. And then they can just clear it. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, no, that's why I'm so hopeful when people have these breakdowns in relationships, even though it's been 10 years or 20 years, and they feel like this is it. This is, can never change that fixed mindset. And you say, well, what if I didn't believe that? Interesting. Right? What if I believe you actually can go back and change relationships? I think that's beautiful. And you may not succeed, but you can start to believe in it. So beautiful. And take new skills to be able to ultimately put your feelings aside. This is, I think, what I really understand is that my experience with everyone is that we want so deeply for people to understand us. Mm -hmm that we end up doing lecturing and we end up kind of, I used to say to my mom, oh my God, hit me because this is death by lecture. Oh. And people who live in the death by lecture land, just that pause to listen to someone else, even if it's your child's perspective until they feel understood, teaches them how to listen. And then they'll start to listen to you. And now we're really getting into connecting because there's no substitute for real connection. Yeah. yeah. No, where isn't. all the magic is. Yes, I right. do agree. In connection, that was, you know, something we lost during any pandemic. And I know you were I saying know. before you've understood pandemics because of being in Hong Kong a few yeah. times. So, okay, my a question which is on my mind and I really want to ask about it. You were talking about the reward mm -hmm. thing. Okay, so when my son does something naughty, I'll say, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I do the threat. Mm -hmm. The same way I say, if you 
are good and you do mm -hmm. this homework today, I will give you a reward. Why are both those things right or wrong? So why does your child do those behaviors then? My child does them because he, no, I, because he's, he's going through something. He's undergoing, he, so, but he's why, rebelling. Okay, we could talk about he's rebelling. So we have two things to look at. Mm -hmm. One is, I mean, in this example, it's really about getting him to do the behavior you want him to do, which, which is, is the, the homework. homework. He doesn't like doing homework. He's actually very, very smart. So when he writes, he's advanced. When he reads, he's advanced. Right. He's in American school, so he already did two years of UK school before right. we moved here. So he's yeah. like so ahead. Yeah. And so he tells me, Mom, I'm so bored. Okay. Class. And I'm like, oh, he needs to jump a grade. Mm. But then I'm like, I can't get him to do any of this extra work. Okay. So, I mean, we're really unpacking this. So now you understand he already has mastered the material you're asking him to do the homework for, right? Yeah, but sometimes he's like, oh, I don't know. Like it's, okay. it's, it's making him have to use his brain a lot more. And I get it because I did this as a kid. Okay. I was the same So we kid. have the homework that is repetitive and he doesn't actually need to do it because he did it two years ago in the UK. Yeah. And he already knows it. Okay, so there's that part. So okay. there's that part. And what we know from Alfie Cohen's work and the homework myth is that Having children do stuff repetitively that they already have mastered has absolutely no value. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Right? So why force someone to do something that they've already mastered when mm -hmm. all it's going to have is negative consequences? Now they're going to just hate school. Okay. So how do you... So you've got that stuff where I would suggest that you start advocating and understanding his perspective and having conversations with the school that says, you know, all the homework that you assign that he's already mastered, we just, we're not going to do it. Mm. there's absolutely no value. In fact, there's a downside. So that stuff you get off the table. Mm -hmm. And now we're just talking about the stuff that's challenging. And if he is advanced and he's always found it easy, then the challenging stuff he's never had to learn how to do. That's exactly where we're at to now. Okay. So for the challenging stuff, you have to really support him okay. at becoming aware. So here's the thing about rewards and punishments is that rewards and punishments have declining effectiveness over time. And they are actually demotivating. Right. Because as someone begins to feel like they're not going to get the goodie, mm -hmm. they just disengage. Because mm -hmm. the only reason they've been trained to do behaviors mm -hmm. is based on whether they get the goodie. Mm -hmm. So it's not an intrinsic motivator, it's an extrinsic motivator. So if you unpack the idea behind rewards and punishments, the carrot and the stick, you're teaching the mind of the child to only do things if they believe that they're going to get the carrot. So what do you do when somebody isn't sure they're going to get the carrot and don't know how to stay engaged if the only reason they do it is for an external motivator? Pass. It's basically impossible. Yeah. So that's why I would say, well, why would you want to create external motivators to begin with? Oh, okay. So now it's about undoing. It's about keeping children connected to why, first of all, we know children want to become masters. Mm -hmm. It is intrinsic within us, the desire to actually master material. Oh, absolutely. He's like, my son's like that was surfing. He spent, and I'm not kidding, six hours learning to surf. And he yes. didn't come off the ocean.
Right. He was just, he, he wouldn't even, he was just like, I'm not hungry, I'm not hungry, just surf. So we were like standing there in shifts, me, my mom, my husband, the nanny, shifts. I love it. It was like one, one of us was just standing in the ocean with him while he was just surfing the same wave until yes. he, yeah. And you didn't it. have to offer him a reward or a Nothing. punishment for. He just loved it though. That's exactly. the difference. How do we get them to love the things they don't want to do without a reward? Right. Okay. So if you take the example of surfing, yeah. now you can see how you didn't even need to lapse into this interesting idea that yeah. I would really challenge with you, that the thing that makes people motivated is if you give them the outer something. Right. What we really need to work with is what is he telling himself about this material that makes him believe that he can't master it? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't feel confident enough right. to do it. Right. So I don't have the confidence. So, you know, one of the things that pops into my mind is when my son was in fourth grade at his school, they took all of the fourth grade books and they moved them to fifth grade. Right. The third grade books to fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And what they brought in was a learning specialist who said, if you make something more accessible then they will do more of it. So what happened to our son? He became a huge reader. In fact, the comments we would get from the teacher are only wants to read in class, right? And he's to this day, a lifelong reader. So by making the books easier, yeah. they read more and more and more. Oh, interesting. And yeah. when they had the books, they changed the level of the books. The harder something is, the easier it is to disconnect. Which is what he, my son's doing when he rebels against the tougher homework. So now we have to make the work at a level where he's going to feel accomplished. Oh. And the more he feels accomplished, the more he's going to enjoy it. And as he does more and more of it, he becomes a stronger reader, if we use that case, of my son. And the stronger reader he becomes, more naturally he advances to the more advanced material. Wow, so interesting. So meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And then slowly advance And them. they will, it will just happen. That's wonderful. It will just happen. So when we move away from looking at it as, what's wrong with you for not being engaged? Why don't you believe in yourself? Oh, you're so good at this. And all these kind of messages, we're trying to change the way they perceive themselves mm -hmm. by not acknowledging how they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you instead just go for, let me get this straight. You hate this. You hate this whole stuff. Is that right? Yeah, mom. I learned this two years ago. Oh, so there's nothing new for you here. No, I've told you that. I already understand the material. Mm. Oh, okay. So you feel like this is just a waste of time. I know, I've been telling you it's a waste of time. So you give them their feelings, you help them, you put the words there for them to choose. So you help by just reflecting back to them. And then now that you know this, now that you know he already mastered the material, now that you know about Alfie Cohen's work and this whole idea, the homework myth, like once we realize the declining value of homework and that yeah. it really is only necessary when it's material they haven't mastered. Yes. Right? Now, now that I know that, I'm not going to have them do all this other stuff. <laughs> I remember my son saying once, God, mom, I have so much homework, I can't learn anything. It's busy, busy, busy work. 
Mm, keeps them busy versus moving forward. It just keeps them busy and they begin to resent it and they hate it. Yeah, I remember feeling that at school. It was just endless, endless, endless. Yeah, but it's no yeah. value. No value. You want to learn. Yes. Wave, rather he wants to go book. out and learn. Yes, he wants to go out and learn how to surf because oh. he doesn't know how to do that. Yes. And the things that are maybe actually outside of his grasp, he either needs someone else to explain it differently. And my, my daughter was a master at this. She taught herself like physics and all of these different subjects because she's like, mom, I can't understand. Like this teacher is so bad. I can't learn it from him. And it was like, she taught herself. Wow. Some kids can do that. They can teach themselves. Other kids need a tutor. Yeah. Or they need a different teacher. We brought in a or, tutor. You know, and I remember this was uh, a couple of years ago, but he was a bit younger then, but we brought in a tutor once and... Um, he rebelled against that too. Mm. So then I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Well, you know, I mean, when we look at, so do I bring in a tutor? Do I not? Do I take them to OT? Do I not? Do I mean, all of these different interventions that we want to go to to make our children have more control or more skills. After a while, sometimes they look at it like, why are you doing this to me? What's wrong with me? And I'm not saying that that happened with you, but yeah, yeah. kids who have so many different interventions begin to just be like, no, yeah, I yeah. don't want to do that. And a lot of it has to go back to, okay, what needs of theirs are being met? What needs of theirs are not being met? And don't forget that when they're in school, it's all about outer direction. Mm -hmm. Other mm -hmm. people are directing them all day long. They don't actually have much choice. Yes. They don't have a choice about where they're going to go, like what classroom they're going to be in, what they're going to be studying. It's all prescribed. Mm -hmm. So they have needs for self-direction. When do they get to express those? After school, usually. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens if the mom and dad or the mom and the mom and whoever the parents are have now taken all of their free time and loaded it up with after-school activities other tutors, all this kind of stuff. They're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, when am I going to get to fill my cup mm. with self-direction? And you can avoid a lot of that by just consulting them. Being much more open. So interesting. Well, I, th I feel like a lot of parents just do it because it's how they were raised mm. and they don't know any other way. Mm, exactly. And they didn't get the education mm. they wanted. Or yeah. Their parents didn't get the education they wanted. So they put it onto them and it just goes generation by generation. It is. It's generation A cycle. By generation this by is generation. why we need yes. people like you to come in, intervene and be like, hey. It doesn't have to be like this. No, yes. Yes. Like you have a chance to change. It doesn't matter if they're four, seven, 17. I know. 27, 37. Exactly. You can start today. You can you got it. You can start today. Okay, but gosh, I could do this all day. This is so, I'm learning so much myself. I want to take notes. Um, my final question for you is if you could tell hmm. a child today how to get through hmm. school, hmm. because it's the hardest thing for me, for hmm. anyone, what would you tell those children? Hmm. Because Don't, parents will go home and tell their kids this. Yeah. You know, I think that two things. Number one is, let's just shout out that a lot of parents will always take the teacher's side. Mm -hmm. And I had a parent recently say to me, I was a teacher once. I knew how hard it was. So I had so much empathy for the teacher. I could really see her point of view. And I always supported the teacher. Now, she's dealing with a lot of resentment that developed because the child felt like he never saw my side mom. Mm -hmm. So 
I think fundamentally, the number one thing that we get to do is always understand our child's perspective. Mm -hmm. Listen to them, understand their perspective, because nobody really else is going to do that. And you can be that one in their life that they know will always help them by at least acknowledging the validity of their perspective. Beautiful. Maybe they handle things, you know, like not the best way. Yes. And they need more skills to deal with conflict. But don't forget, there's a psychological differential. Yeah. And the adult in the room is always going to have psychological power. Yeah. And how do we teach our children to advocate for themselves knowing this psychological differential? Mm -hmm. So earlier we were talking about like, where do we intervene? Where do we not intervene? If there's an adult involved, we have to intervene. We have to intervene to level the playing field. Mm -hmm. We don't want to go in there in a really aggressive way. Yeah. That never works. We have to be essentially the mediator. We have to be able to listen to our child's perspective while the adult that got triggered, assuming that that's the situation, is coming down hard. And let's also go as far as to say, and, and let's assume maybe the child used a behavior that wasn't perfect. So then we get back to, well, what do we do with the imperfect behaviors? Mm -hmm. Do we come down hard on them? Or do we understand that they're the tragic expression of the unmet need? In which case, the tragic expression of the unmet needs is essentially the land of rewards and punishments. When these behaviors happen, we try to reward and punish them away, rather than looking at them as, if we can deal with and support the child to have the skills when they're in those situations to manage themselves, then all of them go away anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we can just keep redirecting back to impulse control, lack of skill and understanding and diffusing high emotion, and all we really need to do is constantly be supporting our children who then feel like they're, they've lost face. How do I show up? They're already into self-shame as in addition to everybody else who's shaming them for their absence of skills. And if we can just shift the whole paradigm around, kids are going to make mistakes behaviorally. Today has been so fun. I have learned so much. And like you said, we got to unpack so much. So much grist for the mill. Absolutely. And I know that you have a free parenting book. Yes. Tell us more about that. Okay. So it's seven strategies to keep your relationship with your kids from hitting the boiling point. Wow. I know, right? And just freeparentingbook.com. And people can go there and download the book free. And it's my gift. Gosh, that's wonderful. What a great gift today. I'm sure going to be downloading it. Yes, I'm going to be downloading it. If you guys have enjoyed today's show as much as I have, make sure that you share this episode with a friend. And they are learning from the consciousness parenting expert herself, Catherine Winter-Celery. She is amazing. And I've learned so much. I've taken so many little notes as we've been going along. And I'm going to go back and watch this myself and share it with other moms and dads and parents out there who I truly believe need to hear your words Mm. and actually that free parenting book is what i'm going to be sending them as a little gift for birthday presents for sure so if you've enjoyed this make sure you share it with a friend like subscribe and we would love to hear from you leave your review if you want to leave a review you can below the link is below and if you want to leave a voiceover review we now have a new button below so you just hit that link below where you get to leave a voiceover of you talking which we may show on the show in the coming episodes so you might be chosen if your review is particularly wonderful i would love to thank you personally 
and I will add it to our show so that we can hear from you. So make sure you leave your name when you're doing that so we know who to shout out and you introduce yourself and your review and feel free to leave that review because we'd love to hear them at the beginning of the 